0: this is what you're fighting for i mean every day you're out there what they're doing is blowing people off if you continue to look the other way and shut up then the oppressors the authoritarians get total control and total power because this is just like in arizona this is just like in georgia it's another element that backs them into a quarter and shows their lies and misrepresentations. This is why this audience is gonna to have to get engaged. As we've told you, this is the fight. All this nonsense, all this spin, they can't handle the truth. War Room, Battleground. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Okay, welcome. We're packed today. Big breaking news out of Pennsylvania. A bunch of endorsements from President Trump. Boris Epstein is gonna join us in a second. I get Dave Ramaswamy is going to join me in studio. We're going to do a little configuration here during the show to get Dave in to sit in with me, talk about Modi and this amazing speech yesterday, India, all of it. Uh, Steve Stern's going to join us in a few minutes with an update on groceries. But I want to start with Jane Zirkel. Jane, I want to thank you. You're at the Faith and Family uh, right now conference. Uh, Brother Reed and the team over there, the Faith and Family Coalition, all the presidential candidates are going to come and speak, including President Trump. I want to, you were, at. give me a quick, give me a minute on Eastman. You covered the Eastman, the start of the Eastman trial. What's your assessment of what's going on out there on the disbarment trial of John Eastman?
1: yes so i got to be in the courtroom for the first two days of the trial and this isn't a criminal court but judge roland who is presiding over the case sure is treating it like one so during the first day she right off the bat denied many of Eastman's expert witnesses including Joseph Freed who is a CPA with over 40 years of experience saying that he did not have the proper expertise to analyze election data even though he is an expert on data analysis and so that was a big hurdle for the Eastman team and the judge and the Eastman lawyer team definitely had some back and forth regarding attorney-client privilege, and that was a big focus of the hearing. So John Eastman took the stand. It was very centered around January 6th, of course, and it was a lot of virtue signaling going on. But then the next day, Pence attorney Greg Jacobs took the stand, and he had an all-out virtue signal with January 6th, and it it really was a show trial to basically entertain the political
2: elites
0: really summed it up perfectly. It's a total show trial. And um, Judas Pence's uh, attorney was a disgrace, uh, to be blunt about it. You've flown back to D.C. You're at Faith and Family. Uh, This is Ralph Reed's big group. It's one of the most powerful groups uh, out there. You're going to be coming back at the end of the show today. Jane's going to have a bunch of of, uh, interviews that she's doing right now tell me what the what the what is the feeling this whole thing about the evangelicals and the christian right Christian nationalism you've got all the big presidential candidates are going to be there to woo them there's this controversy of do these people still have trump's backseat that had such overwhelming support what what is your take as you're back there today the first day of the conference really or i guess the second day of the conference getting a feel for the uh for the for the feel of it for the uh for the air of it what's going on?
1: Yes, so I did have a chance to speak to many of the attendees here, and they are behind President Trump 100%. He is the highlight of this event for them. You know, we have Pence speaking here, we have Ron DeSantis speaking here, but throughout it all, they are behind President Trump. They think what has happened with this indictment is completely unfair. They are disgusted with the weaponization of the judicial system against him, and they're ready for four more years because they trust his leadership.
0: Jane Zirkle, uh, thank you for taking the red eye and getting back there. Jane Zirkle is going to be at uh, Faith and Family. She'll be doing interviews, and she'll be reporting all weekend for us. We'll get back to Jane also tomorrow morning on the uh, on the Saturday show. I think we're going to have Father Provone, some of the participants there. Also, there's a huge rally and event tomorrow on the one-year anniversary at Dobbs. So There's so much going on. I've never seen it crazier, more high intense. Jane, thank you so much. We'll be back to you at the end of the show. Our own Jane uh, Zirko. Let me go to Boris. I got Boris and Steve Stern. I want to go to Boris. Boris, you just heard from Jane Zirko. One of the reasons we sent her back there, we want to get a feel, as you know, Faith and Family, you've been a number of times, is one of the more important groups, Ralph Reed. And there's a lot of things in the media, a lot of things in the press, that all, you know, the evangelicals are rethinking Trump and they got you know uh, Judas Pence showing up and DeSantis and all this. They got you know 10 guys showing up. They're all the the entire Iowa primary is all about evangelicals, obviously in South Carolina, very important in Florida, very important in these early primary states. Jane Zirkel just laid it out and we sent her back and said, hey, I want you to go around, just randomly talk to everybody, let them know you're from the war room and get the feeling. And she told me before the show and then just on air, she goes, hey, Steve, it's one hundred and ten percent for Trump. I've never seen people uh, more dedicated and they're more fired up uh, after the indictments. Now, today, you guys break a massive story in Politico about all these endorsements coming in from the, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, post-indictment. Uh, tell me, what, uh, what does this tell me what's happening in Pennsylvania?
3: Steve, no doubt about it. Honor to be with you, honored to be with the Posse. First off, from Faith and Freedom, this is just breaking, that the Faith and Freedom crowd jumped into applause and loud shouts and screams when the North Carolina Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson endorsed President Donald J. Trump with the line of the nation is at war, and we need a warrior. So just as Jane Zerko reported, just as you just laid out, there's no doubt that faith and freedom the evangelical community is a 1000% behind President Donald J. Trump, the greatest pro-life president in the history of our country, the greatest pro-Constitution, pro-religion, pro-rights president in the history of this country. This just breaking over there at Faith and Freedom, which, as you said, is a powerhouse conference. On top of that, as you as you mentioned this morning, President Trump rolling out a powerhouse list of endorsements from Pennsylvania. Congressman Mike Kelly, Congressman Dan Muser, Congressman Scott Perry, Congressman Guy Ressenhalter, Congressman John Joyce, Congressman Fred Keller, and Ambassador Carla Sands, all Coming together and saying that the only leader our country needs right now, the only leader our country can have that will save us, that will truly make America great again, is President Donald J. Trump. So another day full of victories for President Trump. And as we've talked about, as Jane mentioned, these persecutions, these hoaxes, these attacks against President Trump are only causing for the American people to coalesce further and further around him and his leadership.
0: You've got this—I'd I, I, be remiss if I didn't ask you, given your understanding of geopolitics. You've had this disaster with Lincoln over there, kowtowing as a tributary state to the CCP. And now we know that the Biden regime lied to the American people about what's going on in Cuba. You've got this base. President Trump gave an incredible interview to Seb Gorka yesterday. We had Seb on the show right after that, where President Trump said, hey, 48 hours, and then I start to get all over him with sanctions, tariffs, all of it, to bring them down. What's your assessment— of the situation in Cuba? What does it tell us about the Biden regime? And what do you think of President Trump's action plan?
3: President Trump, exactly right on point as always. And here's the vital issue here. While these pretenders, right, the keebler Elves as you call them, say, well, I would do this, I would do that. We know what President Trump does because he did it for four years. It's exactly as he said, he went to China and said, hey, okay, you want to mess around? Sure, we're going to crush your economy. And he did. Their GDP was the lowest in almost 30 years when President Trump was in office. And he did the same thing with our allies and adversaries, using tariffs as a vital tool with South Korea, with France, of course, with China, using sanctions all across the world as necessary and successful. And you compare that with crooked Joe Biden and what he's done and again lying to the American people about the Chinese setting up this base 70 miles uh, across from Florida what does that tell you it tells you that either there's gross incompetence or that the Biden regime continues to be on the take and continues to be subservient to China and if i had to if i had to pick i would pick them both there's gross incompetence but there's also absolute unheard of and uh, never seen before levels of corruption by the Bidens. And hey, we just learned in the last 24 hours the text messages from Hunter Biden to high levels of of Chinese power saying, I'm here with my dad, and if you don't pay us money, we're going to be really upset. You think those relationships went away all of a sudden in two, three years? Absolutely not. The Biden crime family is on the take from the Chinese, and that is why they're covering up the fact that the Chinese are coming after this country Let us not forget the spy balloons, now the base, the absolute takeover of power by the Chinese Communist Party from America under the watch of, Joe Biden barely knows where he is, but the Biden criminal regime.
0: Chris, how do people get your morning newsletter, how they follow you on social media?
3: Steve, thanks so much. The information, it's hot right now, BorisCP.com, hot on BorisCP.com, hot on Getter at BorisCP, on Twitter at BorisCP, hot on Truth Social at Boris, and the hottest on the gram, Boris underscore Epstein. Stay strong, God bless, all offense, and Shabbat Shalom.
0: Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Let's go to Steve Stern uh, now. Uh, Steve, I, I haven't had a chance to, uh, to thank you, for what you did for Flag Day, particularly everything that's going on. I think we really needed that. And the the team you put together, it was just incredible. I think the thing went eight, nine hours. I was honored to be on there for a while. It was just absolutely an incredible event. So I wanna thank you. What You got any feedback for the audience about that?
4: Yeah, it's fantastic. Well, you know, we got 11 days left for the 4th of July. And, you know, the Flag Shirt sponsored this thing where we had uh, 46 different speakers on there. Thank you so much for helping us with that, with the flag shirt, with precinct strategy. And now what happened, people are coming in and after that event, they actually stayed, 80% of people stayed eight hours. Now we only anticipated about 25,000 people coming to watch this, but it's unheard of what happened. 500,000 people have watched this and it's still not over. Bright T on TV played it all last week. Um, the Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, we have it up on our site. Um, other people have it up, and we're still getting a lot of people going on it. And who did we have on it? So people, if they still want to go on, they can go and contact me at STERN105040OL. And they can also come in for our shirts. Um, we sponsored it along with a bunch of other companies. And why we got so many people on it? Because we had five or six other sponsors sponsoring it. And Nobody got any money for it, so everybody enjoyed it. And we had, starting with General Flynn, we had a lot of support. General Flynn also just texted me this morning. Can he get his clip so we can send it out? Everybody wants to send their clip out. We had Tom Homan on there. We had Sepp Gorka. We had uh, Lee Greenwood. He did his song. We did a little interview with him. We had you. I did a little interview with you. We had um, Chanel uh, Rian from One America News. Uh, we had General Auerbach. General Auerbach is getting me a lot of generals to help. Uh, he's helping me with our flag shirts. And again, flag, you know, Fourth of July is coming up. Patriotism is down uh, from 63 percent to 39 percent. So that's one of the reasons why we had you know do this. Now, we were very lucky on my birthday, which I turned 82, as you know. Mike Lindell and you both wish me a happy birthday. But I was blowing out the candles. He said, we're going to put it on my network. Well, that really helped us. And he got on and he talked about what we're going to do about the machines and some of the other stuff. And all the people that came on, including Clay Clark, John Fredericks, Mel Kay, they had a great story. We had not only we had the superstars, but we also had the average people. We had a guy on it that said, talked about uh, all the information about our flag. And so the feedback is we want to do it again next year. So if you want to get involved and see it, you want to get involved in a Trump campaign? You want to buy our flag shirts? Call me, 954 318 6902. Go to estern 10504 AOL.com. And don't forget, if you want to call me, we have two Zoom meetings coming up. One on Monday for Precinct Strategy, where we're going to have Joe Von Pulitzer on there, David Clements, Johnny V from Votify Now, uh, Stephen uh, Tumanello, uh, who is with the police uh, uh, group. So we're working on the sheriffs and everything else to help this country. Then on Tuesday at eight o'clock Eastern time, we're going to have our precinct strategy. Uh, and we had about 400 people on last time on our election integrity. We had 800 people on these calls are very important because we have a lot of good things happening in this country. We got a girl in California, Tina Selene. She got me 10,000 people now,
0: all different groups. Steve, we've got about, we got about, We've got to bounce, but just give me the number sure. again where people go to sign up Easy for these call calls.
4: 855 S- Stern, AOL. We love you, Steve. You're doing everything for our country.
0: Stern, you're the best. 82 years old. You're more ambitious than ever. It's incredible. A guy works 24-7, and I want everybody, we'll figure out how to also replay it up on Getter. That, that Flag Day event was just incredible. Steve Stern, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Okay, here's what we're going to do. Memphis, we're going to take a quick one-minute break here, and we maybe play uh, play a MyPillow ad. Uh, We're going to take a one-minute break as we reconfigure the set here in the War Room. Our own Dave Ramaswamy is going to join us. We're going to break down everything about the world's leading nationalists. That would be Prime Minister Modi of India here for a historic trip. Uh, A lot to get into, a lot that's going to impact this country and your life. Short one-minute break, which we don't normally do here in the first segment. One-minute break. We're going to reconfigure We'll be back in a moment.
5: Narendra Modi wraps up his state visit to Washington today after hosting the Indian leader at a private dinner on Wednesday, President Biden and the White House rolled out the red carpet yesterday for the head of what is sometimes called the world's largest democracy. Biden and Modi then sat down in the Oval Office, where the two discussed democratic values. Modi praised the president for calling a speech Biden gave as vice president eight years ago, in which Biden said, quote, our goal is to become India's best friend. Modi said it was that commitment by Biden that inspired India to take bold and ambitious initiatives in their relationship. In a surprising moment, during a joint press conference, Prime Minister Modi took two questions. Since becoming India's leader in 2014, Modi has never held a solo press conference. He was asked what steps he's willing to take to improve the rights of religious minorities in his country and uphold free speech. Modi denied any form of discrimination and said India's foundational principles are made up of the democratic values instilled in its constitution. After the press conference, Modi took to Capitol Hill, entering the chamber to loud applause. There, the prime minister spoke about the war in Ukraine and the increasing tension near the Taiwan Strait. Modi said India shares a vision of open and inclusive Indo-Pacific and called for greater ties between India and the United States. Caddy Kay, a relationship that is growing stronger unnecessary relationship, but not without its complications.
6: Yeah, I mean, India is the darling of American investors and seemingly of American politicians at the moment. Gina Raimondo, the Commerce Secretary, was there in India recently praising Narendra Modi. He's back in Washington now, clearly getting a real red carpet rollout from the United States. And it's kind of a test of the White House's, are we with autocracy or are we with democracy at the moment? India is the world's largest democracy. But for a democracy, Narendra Modi is behaving in pretty autocratic ways back at home and I think his comments on religious freedom I'm not sure many Muslim Indians would agree with that they are feeling the pressure the BBC had its offices raided recently because Narendra Modi didn't like a documentary that we made about him so there are kind of autocratic tendencies but the real politique of this is that the United States needs India a lot at the moment it feels that it needs India as a bulwark against China and it wants to try and have some kind of input into India's relationship with Russia Russia is the biggest arms supplier to India America, obviously, with the Ukraine war going on, would like to pull India into the kind of anti-Russia coalition. India is standing up for its own interests, though. It has very strong national interests, and it will be making those clear. And the fact that you've got the Biden administration kind of saying, basically, be our friend almost at what any cost. We will not raise the issue of human rights. We will not raise the issue of democracy and religious minorities, I think, is a sign of how powerful India is feeling at the moment.
0: Yeah, to simply un- like to underscore Caddy's point there. I mean, White House aides tell us that President Biden... Dave Ramaswamy joins us. So for, for the audience that hasn't been with us for a couple of years, talk to about uh, this moment, because there's so much false information even right there. But I want to, why is Modi so important? The Howdy Modi came here a couple of years ago, forty or 50,000 people with President Trump. Uh, from the Warren's perspective, the leading nationalists on the globe... Of leading his country, and he's a paragon of how you run a country, I think, and I think every populist nationalist uh, would agree with me. Yesterday, the squad in AOC did not attend the the speech and protest because he's authoritarian. Tell who is Modi, what has he done, how's he turned around India?
7: Sure, thanks, Steve, for having me. Uh Hello to all the War room audience who I haven't spoken to in a while, but I really value your feedback and the positive comments you've made uh, based yeah. on my past appearances. So Steve, back to who Modi is and why the India-U.S. relationship is so important at this, this critical juncture. Narendra Modi is the first Prime Minister of India who was born after India's independence in 1950. So he doesn't have the colonial baggage which saddled many previous Indian prime ministers and also most importantly for your audience and for the American people at large. Uh, Modi is not an elitist. He He's a uh, he's the he's kind of the Indian version of the deplorable. He didn't grow up speaking English till later in life. So he's uh, he's from he, the gave, he, g- of g- he
0: gave a hour and 20 minute speech. That is one of the most historic speeches I've ever heard in a joint chamber conference, live global with billions of people watching in English and he had he had he had not learned English till late in life probably till he was a teenager or beyond okay.
7: so it goes to show and I think it's it's the ferment we're having in America and it's happening in the rest of the world where there's a large population in the heartland who wants their cultural values their religious values And their economic security to be guaranteed. And what's happening, and you've done a great job covering this on your show and beyond, which is of the, you know, the neoliberal, neoconservative complex on both sides of the Atlantic have somehow shunted millions or hundreds of millions of people to a kind of hand-to-mouth existence. Um, they don't have job security, they don't have benefits. And, and so the same story played out in India, f- where for the majority of the time, six decades after independence from 1947 to the early 2000s, India was dominated by a Congress party, uh, which was extremely tyrannical, which adopted the Soviet
0: unions this is the that, model of this model this is the party movement. of gandhi that did get independence they were the party that got forced independence from uh, the british empire
7: absolutely and gandhi very famously wanted the congress party disbanded after independence because he thought their job was done so it's like they and then they ended up becoming a zombie party you know wearing out their welcome and nehru who was india's first prime minister and his family his his daughter,
0: Indira, and grandson, who's Who was kind of aide-de-camp, one of the aide-de-camps to Gandhi.
7: Yeah, he... Adopted, He was kind of a card-carrying communist, and he was completely enamored with the Soviet Union and Joseph Stalin. So he implemented the Soviet Five-Year Plan, the mass industrialization, state-led industrialization model of growth, which was a complete fiasco for <laughs> India. Hey,
0: hey, hey, they failed in China, failed in Russia, failed in the Ukraine, and particularly failed with the, with the small towns, because India is made up of small towns and small villages. Small towns, and
7: more importantly, it's an agriculture-based country like America. Like India is one-third of America's land area, but, but it has the same amount of agricultural land. So the model of development for India should have actually been a decentralized, democratized, dearest model of development which took into account the needs of Indian farmers. And even 70 years or 75 years after independence, nearly 700 million Indians make their living from agriculture and agriculture allied services. So India has a lot in common with the US in that we are an agricultural superpower, but India is also an agricultural superpower thanks to the liberalization and moving away from the centralist state-owned model.
0: Before, we got about four minutes here and I want to get this out. Before uh, uh, Modi came, India truly was. Were the deplorables here in the the followers of Trump and the MAGA movement? They really were deplorables. They had virtually no voice. Absolutely, well, it was a democracy, and yes. you had a democracy. People voted. Yeah, but the the political class, inheriting this kind of from the British, yeah, yeah. ran the deal. Absolutely, right? It was in a mo- very elitist model, super elitist model, like
7: a dino or a demo- uh, democracy in name only, <laughs> where the you know voting was like you know North Korea style voting. You you know in North Korea it's like you voted for the Kim Jong-un, his grandfather, and then his father, who each won with 95-95% of the wo- vote. It was a completely mockery of democracy. Right. So similar style model where this Congress party, through their control of the institutions, the universities, and the media,
0: had people voting for them. The intellectual class. Now how did Modi, I got about two minutes here, how did Modi break that? Why is he considered a, na- a populist nationalist? so
7: three things steve it's it goes back to safety security sovereignty so when you when you talk about popular populist nationalism which you have on the show it's like basically guaranteeing an individual or their family physical safety you know liberty is preceded by order and safety and the second is economic sovereignty where you can't be an independent free country if you're relying on foreign goods and foreign manufacturers and that was the critical role or the message of gandhi that won india's independence this notion of self-reliance self-rule you know self-rule actually starts with owning the means of production and The salt. Yeah, the salt. It's like, you know, the the word salt derives from uh, or the salary. It's salt money. So you don't have sovereignty over yourself and your community and your family if you don't control your means of production and you're compensated fairly. So what he did was break this elitist stranglehold on the Indian population by communicating in a very down to earth way. Like if you listen to Modi's speeches and he predominantly speaks in Hindi and his native language of Gujarati and also the speech to Congress, he speaks in a very down to earth way, way, which most average people relate to and understand like he, Trump yeah he doesn't have a university fancy academic way of speaking so that resonates with a lot of people
0: he's the most popular uh, 76 the poll out today that Modi is the most popular leader in the world 76% approval rate
7: correct absolutely so, so that, that was a morning consult polling company And he's pretty much ranked between seventy five to seventy eight percent. While his NATO colleagues who like preach and proselytize over democracy, their approval rating is between twenty and forty percent.
0: Biden at forty percent. The rest of these guys are twenty Macron of these guys. Okay, short commercial break. Dave Ramaswamy's here. We're gonna break down the courting of Modi in India, historic yesterday, historic speech, the, re- the response, the shouting for Modi. And this is where AOC and the squad uh, boycotted uh, Modi's speech. And then they had this desecration with having Hunter Biden at the state dinner. Dave Ramaswamy is going to join us after a short commercial break. COVIDTaxRelief.org got a small retail business almost $80,000. COVIDTaxRelief.org got a manufacturing business nearly two hundred and fifty dollars And COVIDTaxRelief.org just got a large distribution business almost $900,000. If you run a business, church, or nonprofit and paid your employees through all You can break, you can take action and break that problem by going to Jace Medical and get your Jace case today. Action, action, action. Okay, imagine you're at your doctor's office. Your doctor glances up from the chart and says, and I quote, Hey, whatever you're doing, keep it up, end quote. Now that's the Field of Greens Better Health Promise. Check out this customer testimonial. He said, and I want to quote here, I've been taking Field of Greens, and this is the second time my doctor has danced into the room praising my blood results. Credit where credit is due. Thanks, Field of Greens. End quote. Now, each fruit and vegetable in Field of Greens was medically selected for a specific health benefit. Some support vital organs like heart, lungs, and kidneys. Others support metabolism metabolism for healthy energy and weight loss if you're busy if you don't get enough exercise if you eat too much fast food take field of greens look field of greens can't promise your doctor will dance into your room but they can promise at your next checkup your doctor will notice you improve health or you get your money back let me repeat that you get your money back i trust field of greens for my health and you can too let me get you started with 15% off. Visit com and use promo code Bannon. That's com promo code Bannon. Take action today. Use your agency, com promo code Bannon, and get the better health promise. War Room Battleground
8: with Stephen K. Bannon.
0: Okay, I'm back with an uh, old friend and colleague, Dave Ramaswamy, one of the best geopolitical and capital markets thinkers I know. Uh, so we talked about the intellectual background of Modi, and I, th- I think a lot of people didn't know this thing about the intellectuals and, and, and the Congress party running the country after Gandhi left. But what has Modi done practically to be so, quite frankly, beloved in India to have such support? And the morning council poll had him at 76th approval throughout the world, and he's The counter narrative to the global media, he is a hardcore nationalist. Everything he thinks about, and this is why I admire him so much, is what's in the interest of India and what's in the interest of the Indian people, and particularly the little guy, the deplorable. And he is relentless on that, and you can't back him off. What has he done to implement that? Sure, Steve. I call Modi the Michael Jordan of democracy.
7: During the 2019 election, 600 million Indians voted for him. 600 and, million Indians voted for him. So many of those critics in the in the West who can't win a city council election <laughs> criticize him. So it, it's kind of amusing. That being said, one of the key reasons for his popularity is like his connect with the average person. And more importantly, he mentioned this in his speech yesterday to US Congress. He has used technology to actually deliver broad-based benefits to the struggling deplorables of India. So he's done that with three ways. Like before the Indian government was extremely bureaucratic in doling out benefits. You had to fill out a lot of paperwork forms. Now it's all digitized. So a lot of farmers get, you know, like crop information, pricing information on their phones. He said India has 850 million smartphones, the second biggest base in the world. And he has uh, electrified the country, like what kind of FDR did with the New Deal. He has uh, built more sanitation facilities. He has liberalized large sectors of the economy, like India has one of the most vibrant telecom sectors in the world. And as you know, what happened in America 20 or 30 years ago with liberalizing telecom, like India, you can make international phone calls for like one cent a minute, a gigabyte of data is like 10 cents. So this allows a lot of small to mid-sized entrepreneurs who are otherwise locked out of the system to participate, add value, bring their talents and get paid appropriately and the other thing he's done which is a- actually more important especially after the pandemic he has pushed for large aspects of the business which were uh, or the or sectors of the economy which were dependent on China and other foreign countries to he's brought them back home especially in pharmaceuticals and now he's doing it in semiconductors he's doing it in defense production because one of the big
0: announcements yesterday was the chip I think micron and micron technology
7: that. also applied materials of uh, America is gonna build a plant in India so he mentioned three points you know democratize diversify and decentralize I will add the word de risk And I think your audience would appreciate that because de-risking is the name of the game. I mean, we don't want concentrated risk in one geography. Uh, We both connected at the start of the pandemic. And there, then we found out a lot of the things that the Americans needed, like pharmaceuticals, mass vaccines, were all concentrated in Wuhan. So it just, from a de-risking standpoint, you want to have different geographies. So one of the things and terms which Modi, along with his American colleagues, Japanese colleagues, and Australian colleagues in the Quad have proposed this term French shoring. So French shoring is... De-risking the supply chain for critical goods like pharma, uh, food products, and semiconductors, electronics, into geographies where people share values, share pluralistic ways of thought, and basically help secure... Uh, the foundation for a thriving economy
0: talk about uh, what Modi the scale of the problem in India with the poverty with the the lack of education opportunities with the lack of water clean water when he walked in give me a couple of minutes because the miracle this guy has pulled off is 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 even much harder than the United States we're so blessed with so many great things he walked into an India that what was the reality for the little guy
7: No, sure. uh, Steve, when he took office in 2014, like India, which had been independent at that time for 65 years, was still it's like it was driving with brakes. As you know, Indians, when they leave India, when they go to the UK, come to the U.S., go to Australia, they're some of the most economically Mm. successful people. And then the the question you ask is. Hey what? Did these guys get a blood transfusion? So so it's not the it's not the people, it's okay. the system. Right. So the system back home, which was a centralized predatory parasitic system, which was all about tax collection, it was all about rules and regulations, the regulatory regime just squeezing the little guy
0: had much of the british really the, the 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 way that the the colonial system worked really hadn't changed that much had not changed the, many of the indian bureaucrats kept in there and the in the, the elite and, and the class structure stayed it was just a different set of masters yeah it was a different set of masters. educated uh, you know uh, awfully awfully a proper set of people where the deplorables are still the deplorables
7: absolutely steve and you know new delhi was sort of became the washington dc kind of the post-imperial capital or post-colonial capital which was what i call british raj 2.0 you know the british left the, but the, uh, the, ma- the skin of the masters changed, but the systems they put in place you know the Indian Civil service, which was a British bureaucracy, was replaced by the Indian administrative service the Indian bureaucracy we, so they there, there was no appetite for risk. I mean, they were like what I call doctor knows. They said no to everything. They hated entrepreneurs. And in fact, India for years had only one telecom company. And 50 years after independence, a country of a billion people had only 18 million phone lines, less than the population of Tokyo. In fact, one Indian telecom minister made the statement, why does every Indian need a phone? I mean, he should have been the health minister. He was worried about people's health. So the point is liberalization. You know, uh, there's a difference between privatization and liberalization. Privatization is where what happened in Latin America. The state-owned monopoly was replaced by one single private player right, the oligarch the, the, uh, the, a buddy a buddy
0: got this a, thing a buddy of so the we, government we can cut it yeah. we can cut the deal up better. yeah so
7: the the qualities that was, was russia too yeah that was russia After the, the 90s. that's where the
0: kgb we yeah know, they so it's, it's what i call
7: the state-owned you know cronyism where just transferring ownership didn't fix anything because at least in a public sector people get voted out you know elections but if you have a private monopoly it's right. even worse i mean look what we have in administra- american big tech you, i mean there's, they're the
0: only game in town you had de- democracy but you had the administrative state like you have here and that ran the deal yeah give me a couple of minutes on what did modi do specifically to come in and break that and because i keep telling people the scale of what he had to uh, accomplish yeah was so much greater than virtually any rule any uh anybody in the world absolutely i think what he
7: did was create new regulatory structures so for the telecom industry he created a new telecom regulatory agency which focused on increasing competition you know india went from having one phone company 20 years ago or 25 years ago to now 10 to 15 companies same with airlines india uh, they used to have a state-owned airline air india and that was liberalized. It went to pri- you know multiple airlines. So India's airline sector is one of the most vibrant and dynamic in the world. They just placed an order. Air India placed an order with Boeing to buy 220 airplanes uh, out of uh, 400. And that's just one company in India. There's another airplane company in India, which placed an order not with Boeing, but with Airbus for 600 airplanes. So Indian aircraft sector is what America was in the 1940s. It's like booming and the opportunity to create jobs. And that's what Prime Minister Modi mentioned in his speech yesterday for every aircraft order placed in placed by India. All across America, in at least 15 to 20 states, you'll have high paid manufacturing jobs.
0: jobs. Um, talk to me about the, um, the CCP in India. And, and we got this Cuban, we got a Cuban crisis like the Cuban Missile Crisis. People forget at the height of that Cuban Missile Crisis, the Chinese Communist Party attacked India in a massive border war. What is the, geostr- give me a couple of minutes on the geostrategic and what Modi and the people in India really think.
7: Yeah, sure. Steve, just for a background, for 5,000 years, uh, India and China were what I call socially distanced by the Himalayas, and they enjoyed peaceful and harmonious relationships. (laughs) There there were people going back and forth, like Buddhism, philosophy. In fact, Hu Shi, who's a Chinese diplomat to America, he was a Chinese ambassador to America in the 1930s, said India conquered and dominated China for... 2000 years without sending a single soldier across the border so for his historically India and China have enjoyed good relations like a lot of philosophy culture and just you know intermingling of ideas it's only since the founding of the Chinese Communist Party in 1949 have relations been a bit rocky and you're absolutely right in 1962 at the height of the Cuban Missile Crisis uh, Mao sent the PLA army to take over territory in northern India. And there was a famous Battle of Razangla where 120 Indian soldiers took on 5,000 PLA amazing. and fought to the last man. And that stopped them dead in their tracks. It's like a uh, Thermopylae, Yeah, or 300, absolutely. Yeah. So b- the relationship is is almost like, hey... It, India's biggest trade partner is America now unlike many other countries but India still has a import deficit with China and so it's like a tricky thing and in in 2020 I was on your show and we talked about that China during the pandemic, they sent troops to the Galwan Valley and they inflicted 20 casualties on on the the Indian side. In fact, India inflicted 40 to 60 casualties, which wasn't talked about. So that's a thorny relationship on the border. Uh, But that being said, uh, the economic nationalism, which you've talked about, that's key. Like We have to break free of dependencies on, on hostile foreign powers. And I think there's the Indo-Indo-Pacific
0: command, but, but, which was set up by President in, in, Trump. India is the key, the Quad. In the Quad, India picks a lock, but with Pakistan, the turmoil's going on there. Khan's been thrown out. The CCP's hands are all over that. You got the CCP in Afghanistan. Does India feel to the degree? You got the situation in Burma, right? It, is, does India feel like they're being enveloped? No, Matt, the Chinese Communist Party talks nice talk to them. Do they feel there's some envelopment going on with agents and actors of the CCP's evil you see everywhere spotted?
7: No, partly, Steve. Uh, Like India, like the U.S., is a land power but also a naval power you know india is the only country with an ocean named after it because for 1500 out of the last 2000 years india had the world's biggest gdp so if you look at from the east coast of africa the horn of africa to the sea of japan that's historically been an endosphere yes and and that's one of the reasons you were in the navy and you know that The American military conducts more training with India than any other country on Earth. And so and the American servicemen and veterans speak highly of the professionalism and capability of their Indian counterparts and the patrolling of the Indian Ocean Mm -hmm. through the Pacific that's key to the world's energy and container goods. So India and the U.S. have a key role to play in ensuring
0: security for their allies and partners. In was it Irrawaddy, if it had not been for the Indian non-commissioned officers, the sergeants in the Indian Army who stood up to the Japanese Imperial Army, uh, uh, India would have collapsed, would have fallen. And I think that was the beginning, really, of Indian independence. They said, hey, these Brits, (laughs) you know, we dug in at Irrawaddy in one so a great uh, a great uh, just a, a great country great people and
7: quick if i may yeah, add yeah. to that india fought on the side of the uk and the us during world war 2 also in world war 1 and in world war 2 there were more indian casualties than the american british and french combined so india has always stood on the side of liberty yes. and fighting on the side of America.
0: This is that, that the uh, the China-Burma-India theater never gets the the, the understanding. There was a massive war down there, and India stood up. Real quickly, I've only got a, about a, a couple minutes, so I'll toss back to Jane. By the way, we're going to be back here live at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. We're going to be with Jane at Faith and Family. A lot going on. You're going to want to be back here at 10. I'm going to toss to Jane in a moment. She's going to wrap the show up in Faith and Family. Uh, you were kind enough to come to the uh, screening of Sound of Freedom. Give me 30 seconds on your on your response to that film no it's a very
7: powerful uh movie made by the mexican actor and producer eduardo verastegui and jim cavaziel did a fantastic role i encourage everyone to see it when it's released in theater july 4th it's a very moving film it, it was frankly hard to watch at times because seeing kids ill-treated and abused is absolutely heartbreaking but that being said i think it's one of the great challenges of our time we all need to play our part to ensure supply
0: chains are child labor free and abuse free big time and this demand situation has got to be stopped go to uh, go to angel.com slash worm right now to get your tickets uh, ramaswamy was there for the for the uh, washington Premier. i want to thank you so much for doing this modi is not understood well, you could tell by the introduction. I mean, the liberal media still doesn't get Modi. And they're, they're trying to say, oh, like Biden had a press conference mm. so good. Modi doesn't need any of that. What do you talk about? He's, it's, it's, so, it's so racist and it's so degrading. Modi is so much bigger than those guys and does such a great job in just a tough – I mean, a country with so much poverty but such great people and trying to work their way out of it. And, like, they're lecturing him. He's got yeah. to do his press conference. I mean, it's so – it's so demeaning, but it's great to have you. See, here. these are political science-based activists. They're, they're, they're not reality-based. <laughs> Dave Ramaswamy, uh, social media, are you up anywhere people can get your stuff? Because no, you, you're doing a lot of media now. still haven't gone on social media. No, it's like I'm on your show. People can find me on Rumble, okay. uh, other previous War Room clips. Okay, fantastic. We're going to toss to uh, Jane right now. We're going to see you back here at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. We'll be live in the War Room. See you then. Action, action, action!
1: War Room is on the ground at the Faith and Freedom Coalition's Road to Majority event. My name is Jane Circle, and let's talk to some of the War Room posse.
2: Can you please tell me your name and what brings you here today? Oh, thank you, Jane. My name is Lee Valentine, and it's great to be here, and I'm just so excited. Uh, President Trump will be here tomorrow night. Are you supporting president trump in 2024 absolutely i've been to 110 rallies we've helped him at many events over since 2016. we're the group that he always talks to there's my north carolina group because we've really been fighting for him and we know this country would not be in the mess it is if he was back in the white house how important is it for faith to influence legislation well it's very important because everything in our country has been founded on the Word of God, and God wants us to know the Word of God, and even Jesus said, render unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and he said, obey the authorities of the land, and you'll live a quiet and peaceable life if they're good authority. So that's what we're praying for. We're praying for God's authority to rule and reign, and we're just believing for many miracles. We need a revival in this land is what we really need. Do you believe that spiritual war is going on right now? Absolutely, this is a battle of our minds. It's a battle to take our country, to steal our children, the innocence of the youth, like you're so beautiful and young, and the, the devil is really, he's roaming around seeking whom he may devour. So I love what the roar Room is doing. It's keeping us on track and excited and fighting. Thank you, Steve Bannon, and thank you everyone at Real America's Voice. Is North Carolina MAGA country? Oh, it is
1: MAGA country, let me tell you. Can you please tell me your name and what brings you here today? My name is
8: Corey Check. I'm from Butler County, Pennsylvania, where I am a precinct committee man for Winfield Township for the Butler County Republican (laughs) (laughs) Committee. And I'm here today because we need to bring back good candidates for the GOP in 2024. Right now, uh, Donald Trump, hands down, the best candidate, the 45th president of the United States, uh, put America first. Uh, He's gonna win the primary without a doubt. But the thing is, uh, I'm here today to support Donald Trump and uh, I'm here to listen to the other candidates. I'm gonna see. I honestly think some of them are going to make good running mates, but Ron DeSantis, I don't believe he can be the running mate due to an amendment that was made to the Constitution. But I would like to see Tim Scott or Vivek Ramaswamy, or even Kerry Lake or Byron Donalds even be the running mate. So that's why I'm here to listen, see who's going to be Trump's running mate, uh, who's going to make some good speeches, Senator Josh Hawley. Made a great speech earlier about how we need to put America first, get conservatives elected. Uh, but I, I'm here because uh, we need to put America first because our country's going to hell and we have to save it. Cannot allow Democrats to get those seats as they will weaponize the judiciary system against us, like how the wep- uh, President Trump got indicted and that was weaponization of the federal government. This is a two-tier justice system. Uh, it's destroying our country and it's destroying America. And once we lose our judicial system, uh, we lose it all. So we cannot let that happen anymore. We need good judicial candidates that will tell it like it is and won't hold any political bias against anyone. I'm Jake Johnson. I represent House District 113 in North Carolina.
1: Wow, so can you tell me how important it is for faith to influence legislation?
8: Well, Let me tell you, when we walk in there to vote, we don't leave our faith at the door.
0: We bring it in with us. We want to pass policy that's pro-life. We support the Second Amendment and make sure businesses are coming to our state.
1: Do you think that we're currently in a spiritual war?
0: Oh my gosh, absolutely! If you could sit through some of the stuff I sit through on the House floor, we're sitting
8: there about not mutilating our kids, not teaching them these uh, terrible things that, you know, frankly, you can't even show on HBO. Much less show a five-year-old, and they're wanting that in our schools? Absolutely ridiculous.
1: Are you supporting Donald Trump in 2024? Yes, I am. Why? I like his policies. He stands up for truth, and that's what I'm all about. He's pro-life, and I'm pro-life. And because he's done so many great things for America, and we need him back. Can you please tell me your name and what brings you here today?
8: Yeah, my name's Zach, and uh, American freedom brings me here. I think education is the key to resolving the issues that the United States is currently facing.
1: Now, Zach, can you tell me who you will be supporting in 2024?
8: Absolutely. It's going to be obvious because of my hat. But it's going to be President Donald Trump.
1: Why is that?
8: Uh, Donald Trump's been involved for the past couple years, since 2016. Um, I believe he's never been in office before, which makes him not a politician. He's just a business. Man. He knows how to run the money and he just, you know, he loves America.
1: How important is faith in influencing legislation in this country?
8: I, I think it's very important because without God, we, we, we have nothing.
1: Do you think that we're currently in a spiritual war?
8: We are. I don't think it's Republican versus Democrat, red versus blue anymore because we all bleed red. I honestly think it's, uh, you know, good versus evil.
0: Folks, let me tell you about Salty. It's a company that makes a soft gel supplement rich in antioxidants